This episode of The Startup Life is brought to you by People Ready. Startup Nation, you have a lot on your plate. The last thing you need to stress about is finding quality staff or the available work you need to be successful. Save time and headache by working with a trusted staffing partner that meets your everyday needs. People Ready is a national staffing provider with over 600 locations across the country and 30 plus years of experience serving people just like you. They specialize in a variety of industries including retail, manufacturing, logistics, general cleaning, hospitality, construction, and more. People Ready understands that you're busy and on the go. That's where their mobile app, JobStack, comes in. Use the app to place orders or find work 24-7 or wherever you are. And as social distancing continues to change the way we interact with customers, colleagues, and our everyday lives, JobStack provides the ability to find the right temporary workers or work you need while eliminating the amount of physical touch points needed in the staffing process. Visit PeopleReady.com forward slash Startup Life to learn more about how you can partner with PeopleReady. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, in this golden era or this era of entrepreneurship, we always hear about grow, 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 scale, 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 scale it fast, scale it fast, this, that, and the other. Uh, But a lot of times what comes with that is a lot of bureaucracy, and if you listen to this show long enough, you know how much that can be a headache, but today's guest It's going to help us out with that. He is a professor of the London Business School and the co-founder of the Management Lab. He has written 20 articles for the Harvard Business Review and is named by the Wall Street Journal as the world's most influential business thinker. His most recent bestsellers are The Future of Management and What Matters Now, as he's here on The Startup Life to talk about his latest book, Humanocracy, Creating Organizations as Amazing as the People Inside Them. He is Gary Hamill. Professor G, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, and I'm so pleased to have a chance to chat with you and your uh, esteemed listeners. No worries. No worries. So I guess that means you're ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation, so we definitely uh, appreciate your time. But before we kind of dive into uh, you know, your book and everything. You just kind of share with us a little bit of your background. Kind of share your origin story, if you don't mind, sir. Well, I, I grew up uh, in Michigan. Uh, uh-huh. went to the University of Michigan, got my MBA, uh, spent a little bit of time uh, working uh, as a hospital administrator and, and decided I didn't want to be going to the same committee meetings uh, every week and every month. So okay. went back and got a PhD. Uh, and uh, that, this will age me, that was in the late 1970s. And certainly one of the kind of career moments for me was watching uh, the U.S. auto industry get hammered uh, at that time uh, by the by the new Japanese competitors. And that really that really hadn't happened to U.S. companies before. Right. And what 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 really hit me, Dominic, was just the, 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 the human consequences of, of companies that make bad decisions, companies that get caught behind the curve, companies that are slow to to recognize the future and respond. Because I watched neighbors lose jobs. I watched a city get hollowed out. And you know, that that took this idea of business from kind of an intellectual thing for me to a very deep uh, personal thing. I hear that. And that's that stuck with me ever since. I imagine even with, you know, uh, with, with you know, the, the latest everything is going on as far as like our economic you know, recession, if you will, that kind of hits a little home to for you as well, huh? Well, and just the more general challenges you see right now, I mean, mm-hmm. as, as, as you and, and all your listeners would, would know, 
you know, over the last few uh, years, kind of the establishment has taken a bit of a beating. Right. And, you know, young people who they're young people who who are are eager and ready to give socialism another chance. You have the kind of the drain the swamp voters uh, you have in, in, in Britain, you know, all the people who voted for, for Brexit, the yellow vest protesters in France. And, and, and literally, it doesn't matter which spectrum you're on. Uh, a survey uh, just run uh, last month, uh, you know, uh, only 29 percent of Americans said uh, capitalism works for the average uh, person. And so, you know, we're at a point in, in time where that, that fundamental promise of, 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 of kind of democratic capitalism that with hard work and, and so on, you can improve your, your, your situation life. A lot of people find that promise pretty hollow right now. And uh, obviously, you know, every human being is searching for dignity and for opportunity and equity. And, and our data, and we'll talk about this, is that for many people, that is hard to find at work. It may be hard to find in their personal lives for, for other reasons. But if you don't find that sense of dignity and equity and opportunity at work, you know, it's probably going to be hard to make that up anywhere else. So, yeah, we're at a point in time where we're asking some pretty fundamental questions about how our society is organized and who does it really work for and how do you get ahead. And, and we're writing the, the, the book very mindful of that context. I'm, I'm happy to, to dive in and, and, and talk about it if you like. For sure. For sure. So let's dive into that. And once again, Startup Nation, the book is Humanocracy, Creating Organizations as Amazing as the People Inside Them. So just kind of talk about a little bit why you wanted to buy that book, just a little bit deeper, why you wanted to write this book at this at this day and time, because it seems very relevant right now. Well, let's let's take a little day to start there. Sure. I mean, here's. Here's what really got me thinking about all of this and, uh, and recognizing that we, we need to do better. So, so, so Gallup will, will, Gallup's data says that only about 17% of employees are intellectually and emotionally engaged in their work. Mm. And that means the vast majority of the workforce is showing up physically, but they're really not there with their imagination, their initiative, their passion, and they're, they're kind of going through the motions. And by the way, that is not their fault, but most of them work in, in companies that really don't get the best out of them, don't elicit, don't even, you might argue, deserve the best of them. We know, for example, that only one in five employees believes their ideas matter at work. Only one in 10 say they have the freedom to experiment and try new things at work. Uh, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that fully 70% of all U.S. jobs uh, require little or no originality. And that, that doesn't say anything about the people in those jobs. In fact, I think we make an enormous mistake when we, when we, when we kind of label a job as low-skilled. I don't believe there's any job that's low-skilled, but I think there are a lot of jobs that are low-opportunity because of those, those, those bureaucratic kind of top-down power structures, this kind of caste system you find in so many organizations that distinguishes between kind of, quotes, managers and employees, the thinkers and the doers, it really makes it hard for many, many people to grow their skills, grow their talent, to solve new problems, to maximize their contribution. And so it, it seemed to me this was something we needed to fix, that where we had so many organizations that have been built to maximize control, mm. uh, and that was the goal of bureaucracy, we need to shift this, and we need organizations that are built to maximize human contribution. And that was going to require really a sea change in how we think about leadership, organization, and management. And that's what we set out to to, to launch uh, with with this new book. For sure, and I'm glad you sent that because in my show prep, I came across uh, uh, some content where you was uh, talking to uh, BBC Global Business, and you kind of talked about how you know there's no correlation between you know uh, profit and size of organizations, and that CEOs 
that have this imperialistic instinct that, you know, uh, in order to, to make a lot of money, you have to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And I imagine that that that's kind of counterintuitive to a stakeholders model of cultivating talent within the organization, cultivating innovation within the organization. Kind of talk about that, if you don't mind, sir. Yeah, well. Certainly, you know, if you look over the last few years and decades, what all of your listeners would, 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 would see mm-hmm. is that often the incumbents have been really slow to catch on to what's changing. You know, right. that's why we often today, I mean, you know, I live in the middle of Silicon Valley and, and they just kind of expect the old guard to lose. They expect it will be, you know, the newcomers, whatever, whatever those companies may be to win. And I, th- I think what we're realizing is in today's world, uh, uh, resources count for much less than resourcefulness, mm. right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how big you are. It matters how fast you can innovate, how fast you can pivot, do something new. And, you know, I, I you know, the, the real advantage of a startup and I've, I've, I've started several companies. I see them up close all the time where I live. The real advantage of a startup usually isn't that it has some like completely unique business model. Often those ideas have been tried before, but, but what's, what's unique is they have organizations that are flat, fast, open, lean, meritocratic, and, and, and pretty much just the opposite of what you find, find in, 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 in big bureaucracies. So yeah, I think a lot of CEOs still believe, you know, the goal is to like get bigger. And that often means like, you know, buying one of my competitors and, and, and trying to get more market power, build a monopolistic advantage, mm-hmm. but that's a losing play in a world of hyperkinetic change. You know, whatever, whatever size you are, the, the most important question is, do you have an organization that can change as fast as the world around you and one that can outrun change itself? And size is often a detriment in that. I want to ask you this, Gary, if you don't mind, because, you know, we're, we're having this debate that's going back and forth about the value of essential workers in businesses. Right. So kind of talk about that, if you don't mind, as it relates to your book. Well, you know, again, I there, there's a kind of prejudice I think that exists in a lot of organizations mm-hmm. where, where the assumption is that people on the front lines who, who we have come to rely on so heavily now, and, and, and I think we have a newfound appreciation for a lot of those frontline workers, but on average, we kind of treat them as if they're, you know, kind of semi-programmable robots or, 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 or almost invisible in our organizations. And that's why you see that, that kind of engagement data. And, and what's interesting is if you look at the data, um, most people enjoy their work. You know, when I, when I right. first saw that data that said, well, only 17% are, of people are, are truly engaged in work, I thought, well, well, that's understandable because there's a lot of jobs out there that aren't very engaging. And every day we see people doing jobs we're probably glad we don't have to do. I hope we stop and say thank you, but we're glad we don't have to do them. Well, it turns out when you talk to those people, the work is not the problem. The problem is the way they're managed, the work environment, because so often they kind of feel infantilized uh, they feel disrespected. I mean, I think about this, you know, even, even a frontline worker today, you know, they, they probably bought a car, right? They, maybe right. they took a loan, but they bought a car. Maybe they, maybe they even bought a house. And yet at work, that person finds himself kind of stifled in a, in a, in a, in a straight jacket of, of petty rules. Um, they, they can't requisition a, a $300 office chair without getting uh, a, a someone's permission. They see these uh, 500 to one uh, salary differentials between the top of the house and their own salary. And it's really hard to believe in that environment that you matter. They have very little freedom. They have very little financial upside. And so, you know, the average first level, you know, essential worker feels kind of more like a drone than they feel like somebody who really matters in their organization. Right. And we think, you know, we, we think that's like indefensible ethically, but we also think it's indefensible 
yeah, economically, if you, if you look at many of the companies we profile in our book, companies like the U.S. Steel, uh, U.S. Steel company, Nucor, mm-hmm. these are companies that have turned on the problem-solving skills of every employee, people on the front lines. You got so-called blue-collar employees making million-dollar investment decisions, experimenting all the time, driving the business forward with a big financial stake in the future of the business. And these people on the front line, they feel like owners. They do not feel like employees. And, uh, you know, there was a time you know, a couple hundred years ago when America was a republic of owners and, 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 and we had these. And then slowly we all kind of became hirelings and, and, uh, and we kind of taken this for granted. So we really want to challenge that and say, even in a large company, you can create a culture and a structure in which every person feels critical, is critical, is respected, has a financial upside. And every company needs to be kind of a confederation of owners you know, whether it's a startup or not. Now, in the beginning of the book, you talk about organizations having these organizational disabilities. Uh, kind of talk about what those organizational disabilities are. And you also talk about the articles of impeachment for kind of get rid of those uh, those bureaucracies. Kind of talk about all of that, if you don't mind, Gary. Well, you know, I've had the chance to be in and around a lot of organizations in my life. And I am I, embarrassed that it took me so long to kind of put the picture together. But what I realized was whatever the industry, whatever the country, you know, once organizations reached a certain size, it didn't have to be very big, maybe even a couple hundred employees. What you would see was that they were, they were all afflicted by a common set of disabilities that were very similar, you know, from, from, from business to business. They tended to be inertial. They found it very difficult to challenge their internal assumptions and, and get in front of the head of the curve. In fact, uh, change when it came was often kind of late and in crisis. Uh, they tended to be quite incremental. Uh, it was hard for new ideas to get get a foothold and, and, and get a hearing, and they weren't very good at, at, at break the rules innovation. And as we looked at some of this data, they tended to be rather uninspiring. And uh, and so I started to ask, like, well, why, you know, if you see something over and over again, you know, this is not about one company, there's something deeper. So then I went back and said, well, like, what do all these organizations have in common? And and what you what you realize is, they're all built on a similar set of assumptions, on a similar structure where power trickles down, big leaders appoint little leaders, the folks at the top set strategy and direction. You know, you got layers of managers who assign tasks and assess performance. Everybody's kind of competing tooth and claw for promotion. And you go, well, maybe the problem lies there. And when you, when you really pull that apart, you say, yeah, that's the problem. We have organizations and that are built on this bureaucratic model of, you know, kind of the authoritarian power structures and a lot of, a lot of rules. And that's a product of its time. That was invented about 150 years ago when the average employee was very poorly educated, uh, when we were for the first time learning how do you bring employees together at scale, when there were there was no there, information was very difficult to move and expensive to move. So you you'd aggregate it up, you'd have people report to their boss and then report up, and that was really the only way to move information. It was a, a time when change was very gradual and you as an organization you didn't have to be uh, a kind of fleet-footed, and where we kind of started the conversation, it was also a time when scale mattered more than anything else. Well, none of those things are true anymore, and yet we still have those kind of stultifying organizations that were built to maximize conformance, to maximize efficiency at scale, and then you wake up in a world and say, no, no, we need organizations that are resilient, that are daring, that are hugely creative, and there's just about nothing in that old management model that helps us build those those capabilities. So what the book is really aimed at is is giving people some really practical ways of of uninstalling bureaucracy and starting to overcome the disabilities, the conservatism, the inertia, uh, and uh, and and the timidity 
that comes with those kind of rule-driven organizations. Quick follow-up, if I don't mind, you know, mind me asking, because you, you talked about how you know, uh, you know, the 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 workplace and and the the the. Uh, the employees are becoming more knowledgeable about their their prospects, stuff like that. And you talk about this in the book and wanting to be more entrepreneurial and stuff like that. You know, is it, you know, the bureaucracy that's in place? Are they just just thinking that, like, well, we'll never be toppled. Nobody can ever, like, take us over. We'll never go out of business. Why they keep these institutions in place? Because I can't tell you. I mean, how many times have we heard, and Gary, you know this all the time. How many times have we heard where... Mm-hmm. You, you, you run an idea up the chain and said it's stupid. They leave the company and they start a $16 billion idea and they out, they come that competitor. So where's this, like, how do we change that mindset of those business leaders to kind of topple that bureaucracy? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a very, very good point. You know, it's, it's, it's curious to me, you know, so often you hear leaders kind of bemoan the fact that they're not, you know, good ideas in the organization. No, the problem is you're not listening to them. You haven't mm. built an, an environment that, that brings them to the surface. And, you know, there's, there's a way you can test this in any organization now, but I use, I use a simple, like, set of questions that, that I, I love to go down to first first line employees, whatever those are in the warehouses, the stores, the uh, tech support, whatever it is. And you ask them three questions. The first question is, have you been trained as a business innovator? Has, has your employer made any investment in your creative capital? Have they taught you how to see emerging trends or how to, how to, how to un- unearth these unmet customer needs. Uh, and uh, so, you know, have, have, have they helped you think like a creative business person? And the answer is like, no. Second question I ask him is, well, if you had an idea here, is it easy to get a little bit of funding, a few hundred, a few thousand dollars, maybe 30, 50% of your time to go experiment with that idea? Is there some like internal equivalent to Kickstarter where it's pretty easy to get a little funding? The answer is like, no, I wouldn't even know how to get any funding. And, you know, probably means going to my boss. If it doesn't interest him or her right now, like the idea dies. The third question I ask is, is it clear to you that your manager, your boss cares about innovation? Are they talking about it? Is it clear there's some measures around? Are they measuring the number of new ideas that come up every month? How many of them get funded? How much of, 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 of time is being invested in those things? And is it clear that your leader's compensation depends on the innovation performance of your unit? And again, people say, no, I don't really hear my leader talk much about that. So I have to go back to the CEO then because every CEO will claim to be serious about, about innovation. So I have to go back to the CEO and say, listen, here's what we found out. We asked people, have they been trained to think creatively? No. Is it easy for them to get something started? No. Are leaders held accountable for building a climate innovation? No. So like, okay, so when you told me you were serious about innovation, let me understand how you use the word serious because this doesn't sound very serious to me. If you don't train for it, don't make it easy. Don't hold people accountable. So now why, the, the question you're asking, Donald, it was a very interesting one. Like everybody knows that. So why does that situation persist? Mm. And, you know, that's, you know, and I think that's where you come back to the fact that, that, that bureaucracy is a very, very deeply embedded social structure. You know, you go back, you go, you know, for hundreds of years, aristocracy uh, was, the, was the dominant way of organizing civil society. Right. You know, you just expected to be a king or a queen and they had absolute authority. Uh, you know, for centuries and centuries and centuries, we had patriarchy and men just had certain privileges that women didn't have. And we just, you know, accepted that way. For most of human history, slavery was a fact. And in ancient uh, Greece, 75 percent of the residents of Athens were slaves. And so for centuries, some of these, you know, these these, uh, you know, incredibly regrettable social realities were there until somebody said, like, why? And this, you know. And so I just think there are a lot of leaders who are ca- kind of caught in that old paradigm. And, and, and here's the problem. 
if you've never trained and turned on employees to think in this way and given the opportunity, then then very little creativity is forthcoming. It's easy to assume, well, they're you know these people right. are kind of lunkheads. There's not much they can do. I'll, I'll tell you one an experience I had, absolutely a huge experience I had in my career that 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 helped me see around this. Dominic. I was this is probably 20 years ago, and I was training a a, a large group of blue collar unionized employees in a midwestern manufacturing company to think like business innovators. And I remember one woman; she'd spent her entire life probably on uh, working on the assembly line. And she had an idea for what ultimately became a, multi, a multi-million dollar new, new, new business. Mm-hmm. And we took over the suburban, we took over the, the interior space of a suburban shopping mall one weekend. And we asked all these blue collar employees to take, you know, they'd all built prototypes, little displays, demos of their ideas. And we put them inside this mall and said, like, ask your neighbors and everybody comes through to, to give you feedback. So I remember this woman standing there with her kids, you know, so proud of what she'd done, getting all this positive feedback. And it hit me that probably no one before in her career had ever asked her really for a creative idea. And, you know, that was just the prejudice. That was just like this, this, this belief that like, what, like, like these people can't drive our business forward. And I think it's, it's a nonsense. So I think we've just been caught like we have at other times in human history. We've been caught with this social system that, 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 um, that uh, misuses or, or, or fails to use a huge, swath of human capability. You know, um, one of the pioneers of, of the American uh, uh, revolution, Thomas Paine, deep thinker, who was kind of the spur for both the American and French revolution, he said, a long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right. Mm. And I think that's where we've ended up. You know, yeah. it's like, this is the way we've always treated employees. This is the way we're organized. We have multiple levels. How could it be otherwise? And now, and we, and we try to tell some of these stories in the book, there are some compelling examples of companies that are breaking out of that old, broken out of that old model. They're reaping incredible results. They have, you know, their, their workers are incredibly creative and turned on. And yet a lot of companies are just stuck in that old model. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Support for The Startup Life is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Startup Nation, personal grooming is super important, not only from a hygiene standpoint, but also from a confidence one as well. And that is why you need to have a tight haircut and, well, a nice groomed undercarriage as well. And when doing that, you don't want to use the same razor, do you? That's just absurd. And this is why our friends at Manscaped have given you another option. Introducing the all-new Lawnmower 3.0 by Manscaped. This lightweight and waterproof razor features precision engineered blades for safe trimming in sensitive areas and a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Ladies, Father's Day is just around the corner and this will make a perfect gift for that guy on the go. Use code THESTARTUPLIFE in all caps for 20% off and free shipping on your brand new Lawnmower 3.0 at manscaped.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the other products from manscaped.com as well. So for proper manscaping without the fear of hurting anything go with manscape trust me your family of jewels will thank you 
by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Thank you for sharing that. And once again, Startup Nation, uh, that book is Humanocracy, Creating Organizations as Amazing as the People Inside Them. And that book, you can get that book uh, today, Startup Nation. You have a link there in the show notes for easy access for you can uh, pick that up if you listen to the replay on the podcast. You know, Gary, I was actually on your Instagram page today and I saw that you had a video of the, like this automatic uh, milk making, a milk, uh, milking machine for like cows or whatever, right? And when I knew we were going to talk today, it made me think of about one of those tools that bureaucracy kind of uses to keep people in line, which is robotics or replacing your jobs with robotics and stuff like that. Kind of talk about why that's probably not the best way uh, to kind of like spur innovation and spur a, a great culture within the organization. Well, as you know, you know, at the moment, there's an enormous uh, fear about what automation AI robotics is going to do to employment, right. kind of automation anxiety. And a lot of people have been making very dire predictions that perhaps a third of the workforce gets gets replaced. I'm a lot more 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 uh, hopeful, and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. First of all, um, uh, the studies that I look at, one of them done by by McKinsey and Company, the big consulting company. Right. There are there for sure there are some 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 human some capabilities today where machines are better than we are. They're 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 better at. Uh, you know, pattern recognition. They're better at sorting. There's a certain thing, and and that's fine. They're they're. But if you look at the things that really drive innovation, creativity, um, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, uh, lateral thinking, creative problem solving, machines are nowhere close to 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 being as good as we are. You know, in, in the end of the day, machines are very good at pattern uh, recognition, right. pattern making. They're not very good at pattern breaking. And innovation always comes from when somebody says, let's do this in a different way. You know, I, I think about Toyota. Toyota's employees submit over a million ideas, uh, suggestions for improvement every year. And, and most of those are, are things that the employees have already tried and they're working and now they're sharing them across the organization. Like how many of those ideas are going to come out of, of AI or a robot that, that it's going to be able to think laterally about a fundamentally better or different way? I don't think it's going to happen. And so my sense is, we have to be worried about the job displacing impact of automation only to the extent we continue to treat our employees as robots. You know, again, I, I, I talk about Nucor Steel in the book, and uh, it's by far the most profitable, most innovative uh, steel company in the United States. It has about twice the, 
the, the, the profit per, per employee as, as its rivals. It has a head office, a $20 billion company, a head office of only 100, 100 individuals. The frontline people are extraordinarily creative. And it's also one of the most highly automated steel companies because in that company, when, when frontline employees improve productivity, their pay goes up. And, and so everyone has an incentive to, hey, let's find the, the latest, greatest equipment. Let's go up. And so, you know, they, they, they are using their employees to solve bleeding edge problems, not to, not to take drudgery out of work through robots and AI. So I think, you know, I think the impact of AI is probably way exaggerated in terms of what it's going to do in, to employment. And to the extent it is a risk, we can mitigate the risk by actually following some of the principles we lay out in the book. And teaching people how to think like business people, giving them more freedom to, 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 to solve problems right where they are, disaggregating their organizations into relatively small business units and local P&L, so every one of them feels like an owner, making sure we share the rewards of those productivity gains back to the frontline employees. You do that, and you'll have a company full of what, full of what I would call micropreneurs, uh, and, and they will beat all comers, and they are not going to be worried about automation. I hear that. I appreciate you sharing that. Micropreneurs. Let's add that to our, our, our vocabulary startup nation. I want to ask you this because like we mentioned earlier, you're a, prof- a visiting professor at the London Business School. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask you this because you probably talk to a lot of NBA uh, candidates and stuff like that. When you talk, you know, when you're you know, teaching and stuff like that, and let's say they're about to get a job. What is some advice you would give them as they're getting ready to roll into a leadership position, kind of be part of that bureaucracy, uh, if you in a lot of times, what is something they should do in the first 90 days on the job to kind of help uh, spur that creativity and spur that, that humanocracy that you talk about a lot? Well, that's a super, super great uh, question, Donald. Thank you for ask, asking that. You know, um, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of folks who go to business school, whether it's undergraduate or MBA program, you know, the the kind of implicit value proposition, if you, if you pay your tuition dollars, we're going to give you a fast track up the hierarchy. Right. And I think as we move forward, you know, our organizations are going to become less and less hierarchical. They're going to be way fewer levels of management. And, and, you know, the game of, of, of promotion is going to change. Um, you know, you, you think about the generation that's going to work right now. This is the first generation in human history whose primary social reference point is in a hierarchy. Right. When I was a kid, whether I looked at business, at government, at education, at religion, wherever you looked, it was organized like, you know, multiple levels. Now you look at the Web where, you know, if, if, if I have followers on, on, on Twitter or wherever it is, it's not because somebody appointed me a vice president it's because people wanted me to follow. Uh, a power trickles up, doesn't trickle down. And the moment I stop adding value, my followers are going to drift somewhere else. And so I tell, I tell, you know, the young people I talk to is that's the way it's going to be at work. People are going to ask, are you worth following? No one is going to compel anybody to follow you. If, if you're not adding value, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the other companies I talk about in, in the book is, is uh, Hire. It's the largest uh, home appliance maker in the world based in Qingdao, China. They right. now own GE Appliance North America. So they've divided an 80,000 person company up into 4,000 micro enterprises. And each year in these little teams, the team itself elects their leader for the year. Who, who, they, they, they're, they're all uh, pursuing very ambitious goals. Everyone has a big financial upside. If they hit these goals, they can multiply their base salary several times over. So the team gets to choose their leader. And they're not looking for, you know, somebody's going to be nice. They're looking for somebody who's going to, like, get them to that next level. And interestingly, if, if, if they miss their performance target for three months in a row, it triggers an automatic leadership reelection. 
and they're going to find somebody else. And so in that kind of organization, leaders are accountable to the lead, not the other way around. So to your point about what's, what's the specific advice I give, a, 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 a couple of things. One, one, one very specific, I'll start then something more general. I think if you're a young person or anybody in an organization and you want to build your leadership capital, uh, here's, here's how to approach it. The first time you meet somebody new on your team, maybe a new employee, or you come into an organization, you're getting to know people, the very first conversation you have with that person should be all about them. And, and not, not about the business, not about their role. You need to start by saying, what's your story? Where did you come from? What are you trying to achieve in life? What are the, what are the, what are the challenges you face personally with family and other things? You know, what, what, who, who are you and, and where do you want to go? You have to connect to that individual as a human being, uh, not as an employee. The second conversation I have, I talk a little bit about me, but I wouldn't talk about, you know, I'm your new boss or here are my goals for the business. I would talk about my vulnerabilities my mistakes, what I've screwed up, my experiences, because I got to be human to them as well. Just another person on this planet trying to figure it out and, 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 you know, one day at a time. The third conversation I have with them would be about the business, but I, again, start with them and I'd say, like, how, what can I do to help you succeed here? What's standing in your way? What makes no sense to you? What do you need out of me so you can excel? So if, 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 if that's the way you approach and build your relationships with the people around you at work, they are, they're, they're, they are going to follow you anywhere, right? And, and, of course, this has to be genuine. It has to come out of your heart. But, but, but you know, that's how you build deep, meaningful community in an organization and, and real relationships. The other thing I would say to, any, to somebody, you know, going into a company is never assume you're helpless to change the organization around you. You know, I, I, meet, I meet so many young people who just assume, or, and, and sometimes older people who've been in an organization for years, who just assume that if you're not the CFO or the head of HR or something else, you really can't do anything like significant. And yet, you know, when I, when I look at the world around us, I see that it is activists who change things. It's, it's not, it's not the people in power. And so, you know, my advice is if, if, if you want to change something, in your organization, never ask for permission, don't go up, go sideways, find three, five, 10 of your colleagues of your peers, See if you can talk them into showing up on a Saturday morning and, and helping you think about this problem. Build a prototype, try something, write a white paper, mock something up, and then actually run a little experiment right where you are. Don't, don't blow anything up. Don't, don't take a legal risk. Don't degrade the customer experience, but try something right where you are. And once you have a success, now go talk to your, your boss, your manager, and tell them what you need to keep going. And so, you know, we need people who do not think about themselves as employees, but who think about themselves as activists, who have the courage to take on new problems, who have, have the compassion that will attract others to, 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 to work with them on this, who, who uh, you know, are current thinkers. And when you start to cultivate those things in yourself, you find out that what you can accomplish doesn't correlate at all with your title or your position in an organization. So... For me, you know, build really high fidelity, high quality relationships with the people around you out of, out of humility. Search for genuine connection. Be a servant to everyone. 
and never assume you're helpless. Just goes back to show, and I'm glad you said all of that. It just goes back to show Startup Nation. Everybody in the organization uh, has value. When you were talking, Gary, it made me think about the the gentleman at Frito Lay who started as a general a janitor and came up with the idea of uh, uh, the flame and hot Cheetos, and now he's like vice president at PepsiCo. And so it just goes to show that everybody has value. Everybody has uh, ideas that can definitely be worth uh, uh, multi million dollars for an organization or for yourself if you want to dive out into entrepreneurship. So Gary, I thank you for for sharing all of that for sure. My pleasure. No worries. No worries. So we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up with Gary uh, Hamill once again. He is the author of Humanocracy, Creating Organizations as Amazing as the People Inside Them. In Startup Nation, that book is available today uh, for you to pick up. Um, We have a link there in the show notes for easy access. You know, Gary, I was telling you earlier that I was on your Instagram page and I saw a picture of your father uh, reading your book. Kind of talk about him a little bit. Well, I I, I owe my dad a lot. He was also a university professor, but also an entrepreneur. He built a very successful uh, business. Gotcha. And so, you know, I think that that that's where my passion, both for business and 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 maybe intellectual curiosity, were born. And mm-hmm. uh, he was a World War II uh, vet in Britain uh, during uh, the Blitz, and uh, thankfully, is just about to have his hundred and first birthday and going strong. So, uh, you know, I think I think. Uh, we, we, whatever we get in life, we have to pay it forward. And, and this book is maybe one small way of, of, of paying it forward for me. I hear that. Appreciate you sharing that. And before I let you go, I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you for a little bit because there's somebody out there in Startup Nation, you know, with everything going on, they're feeling a little stuck, a little afraid, a little bit to, to kind of pitch that idea sideways. Give them some words of encouragement to tell them to keep moving forward, if you would, Gary. You know, I, it, we, we do live in very tough times. I mean, let's, let's make no mistake about that. We are, and, and it's not obviously just just covid you know we're in a world where we're wrestling with racial injustice we're wrestling with uh, a climate change uh with with income inequality uh uh you know so there are a lot of things that that but you know we're, we also live at a time of extraordinary opportunity if you think about um you know where we're going to go with with 5g and how that's going to open up so many new opportunities uh, uh synthetic biology the robotics the ai all of these things are opening up uh you know new 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 horizons uh it's never been a better time to to build a business and be and be an entrepreneur i think and and never before has it been has it been so easy and that doesn't mean you don't face all kinds of challenges but but you know every every time i go to youtube for example I look at this incredible expression of human creativity and ingenuity. I think last count like 31 million YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, 20 years ago, none of those people would have had a voice. There would have been no way to, you know, the, the tools of creativity, the video editing and so on, they were like expensive or out of reach. Uh, you had gatekeepers who were controlling access to an audience. And now it's just like you and your creative capacity and your imagination. So. You know, I think we live in an extraordinary time for, for entrepreneurship and, 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 and for startups. And I think that anybody who's, who's going down that course, I hope you'll, you'll persevere through all the difficulties. Uh, I hope as your organization grows, you'll be careful to inoculate it against that, that creeping bureaucracy, which can kind of rob the, the work environment of joy and, and passion and so on. But, um, yeah, you know, learn, learn something new every day. Uh, spend a lot of time thinking about what are those unmet needs of, of customers? What are the frustrations we have in our lives that nobody's bothered to sort out for us uh, 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 yet? Uh, think about the dogma, the orthodoxies that, that you see all around you in industry, the things that people just take for granted and haven't been willing to challenge, and then challenge them and build something great. Because, uh, you know, never more a challenging time, but never 
never a world that's, that, that's been filled with as much opportunity as we have right now. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you so much for sharing that. We always talk about there's there's opportunities in the chaos. Once again, we want to say thank you to Gary Hamill for coming on the Startup Life. Uh, thank you so much, Gary. We really appreciate that uh, you coming on the show. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.